Anybody ready to receive? Are you sure? Just checking. Just checking. Good morning. Amen. I feel the need to look at everybody. Huh? I know. Like a little, put a little pressure back, you know. Everybody's always looking at me. So just think, it's like a hundred to one. You just have me looking at you. I got a hundred. Like, it seems fair, right? Sometimes, though, when guys are in the anointing and they're preaching, though, and they look, look at you, they're like looking straight through you. Like, he's reading my mind right now under the anointing. He's looking into my soul. That's the way it feels. I've, I've watched... I've had uh, Brother Tracy standing in front of me before, and he's preaching like this, and I'm like, I hope I'm clean. Please, no hidden sin. Amen. And uh, I know y'all have never felt that when I've been preaching, but uh, sometimes it feels like that, huh? Brother Copeland's eyes. Yeah, Brother Copeland's eyes are like piercing. The first time I ever saw that, I was like, ah! That's the way I felt sitting on the front row. So anyway, you get a minister in the anointing, and it is, it's like they're seeing into the into the spirit realm directly, it seems like, and uh, to a degree, they are. And so, anyway, good morning. Good morning. I'm trying, I, I didn't really see, did we have a mass exodus to the bathrooms after tithes and offerings? That generally happens because people know. They're like, let me go now because who knows how long service will go. If you're new here this morning, we don't, uh, we don't finish in an hour. We've already broken that, and I'm just starting. And uh, we generally, it's generally two and a half hours service, so you still got another hour and a half to go. Just giving you some time frames. Yeah, the Titanic movie was longer. <laughs> Amen. The latest uh, what, Avatar movie was longer than that. Amen. What are you doing? I don't know. I think I've given people time to get back from the bathroom. So I don't want to start. I was ready to jump right in, but if everybody's not here yet, then I'll just kind of wait. So how you doing? <laughs> good. I'm glad you have a good week. How many people enjoyed Apostle Scott? Yeah. Wasn't that awesome meetings? It was really, really good. And uh, uh, you don't you don't have to raise your hand, but... How many people had the devil come and try to steal the seed of the word before he was even out of town yet? Uh, yeah, I see all the head nods. <laughs> yeah. So the Bible's true. Like, there you go. There's a good Sunday morning preaching nugget. <laughs> the Bible's true. And it's relevant today. And uh, he says, Jesus said, the enemy, the thief, comes immediately to steal the seed of the word. And uh, I just wanted to see if Amy would pause in her walk up here if I turned back around. She waited until I walked over here, and then she was like. But uh, the enemy comes immediately to steal the seed of the word. Many times he'll try to steal the seed of the word before you even get out the door of a service. You have to be, you have to be aware. The Bible talks about knowing 
the schemes of the enemy, knowing how he thinks and what he does. You have to know these things and be aware of them. Why? Because if you're not aware of them, you'll, you'll miss that he's coming and trying to sabotage your life, and then you'll fall prey to it. God doesn't want you to fall prey to anything. So we want to be aware of what the Word teaches. We want to be aware of who the enemy is. Uh, the devil in... Uh, the book of Revelation, there's at least four times where every time he comes into and out of the world, he takes one thing with him. And anybody know what it is? Deception. And uh, so the battlefield is he deceives. He has no authority power because Jesus said all power and authority, or all authority is what that word means there. All authority is given unto me, go therefore. And so the devil has no authority, but what he'll do is he'll try to deceive you to use your own authority that Jesus gave you against yourself and against others. And we don't want to fall prey to that or fall victim to that. Uh, we want to be aware of his devices. Now, that kind of fits right into what we're talking about. Y'all, most of you know, several weeks ago, I woke up on Sunday morning and the Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly. I thought it was a very interesting topic. And he said, counterfeits and forfeitures. Counterfeits and forfeitures. And the reason why he said that, I knew he instantly wanted me to go into a series on counterfeits and forfeitures because uh, the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And for those, Jesus said to people, he said, you err, you do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. I've never seen a time period in my life where that is more true. It's really come alive to me because most people really, really, really don't know the word. And they say they go to church, but they don't know the depth of it. They don't know the heart of it. And there's so many things that they cross on a regular basis thinking that they're good because they go to church, but they don't actually know the word. And because they don't know the word, that it can be counterfeit. It can be, you can forfeit the truth that'll set you free because you accept a counterfeit. So we've got to know the real so that we won't get a counterfeit so that we won't forfeit something, a truth, a victory that God wants us to have. So the more truth we know, the more we'll walk in that victory and we'll walk in that freedom, right? So for example, what's the difference between facts and truth? So you can have worldly facts. You can have worldly facts. A bad doctor's report can be a fact, but does a bad doctor report set you free? If you think on it, if you meditate on it, that doesn't set you free. But the Bible says that if you continue in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if freedom is not attached to it, it's not truth. And under the spiritual law of God, truth is higher than fact. So truth supersedes fact. That's why somebody who's sick in their body can get healed because the truth is by his stripes they were healed and the truth will supersede that fact. But without knowing the truth, you can accept the counterfeit of the world, which is, well, everybody gets sick. Everybody, you can't do anything about that. You'll accept that counterfeit and then forfeit your freedom. 
and forfeit that. Now, I want to talk today about how to not forfeit your life. And we started in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 27. And I'm going to point out some specific things. So one of the things that you see here, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, and it says this, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. And he's talking about the flesh man. He's saying, you got to deny that flesh. You got to deny the nature of the flesh. You got to, you got to put down what your flesh wants to do because your flesh is, has built in corruption from sin in it. And it's always fighting and warring against the spirit. And the ones that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. And the children of God are led by the Spirit, not led by the flesh. Not led by the corruption of sin in the flesh. And so if you don't understand the difference there, and you've never seen the three parts of man, we got a teaching uh, on the What's Right uh, channel where you can actually go and talk and look and learn about the three parts of man. One of the most important teachings you can ever learn about the Bible because there's some scriptures that are talking by context about the flesh man and there's other scriptures that are talking about the spirit man. And you've got to know which one he's talking about. And if you don't know, then the Bible can look confusing to you, but it's actually not contradicting at all. It's actually doing exactly what it needs to do. But he says, you must deny yourself. Well, you're not denying a born-again spirit that's connected to the Holy Spirit. You're denying that corrupted flesh that wants you to go do fleshly things. And sometimes the fleshly thing is just not believe. So if you want to go after Christ, without faith it's impossible to please God. So you can just be sitting at home like, man, I don't know if this is going to work out. That's actually your flesh trying to get you to accept and counterfeit of 2 Corinthians 2.14 that says, but thanks be unto God who's always leading us to triumph in Christ and manifesting through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Well, that's the truth, and that'll bring us freedom. But then we can be sitting there like, I don't know if it's going to work out or not, you know. And that's the flesh. And you got to deny that Eeyore in your life. you got to deny that. No! No! I was talking to uh, Brother Ted Shuzzleworth Sr. Uh, this week. We were talking about prayer. And uh, he said, because we were talking about, I was telling him a story. He said, you're right. There's got to be a fervency that comes up in your spirit when you're praying to see results. There's, there's got to be a boiling. There's got to be a fervency there in your prayers. He said, it's like you go to another level and you operate with a different authority. And if you're just kind of like, well, I'm in the world and, you know, whatever happens, happens, whatever may be, may be like you're going to get run over. And you're not going to walk in freedom and you're not going to walk in truth. Now, I'm not talking about taking that fervency against people. Like that's, that's what the flesh wants to do is make people the enemy. People are not the enemy. The devil's the enemy. But, but we'll try, we'll be like, well, they did me wrong. And, and I'm a child of God. So, you know, or whatever. And we think that's like being holy. Like. They don't know who they're talking to. I'm, I'm a child of the king. I'm royalty. 
You know, they'll, they'll do that in their work too. Like the person at your work knows what in the world you're talking about. Like, like your logic, you know, well, I'm a child of the king and you got a right to talk, don't you? If, well, listen, if you really believe you're a child of the king, then believe to get out of that minimum wage job. Like, let's, let's go up to some royalty pay. And in other words, let's take it in every area and stop just trying to apply it against the coworker that's actually telling you the right thing to do. Yeah. That you don't like being told what to do because you're actually rebellious. Yeah. Well, you remember what I was saying earlier about your flesh is not going to be real happy with us? There you go. Welcome to Boomerang. Glory to God. These are things we need to to get clear and walk in some freedom. Okay, so you got to deny that flesh man. And take up your cross daily. How many days? Daily. Daily. Every day. (laughs) Every day. And follow me by context, how often? Every day. Every day. <laughs> right? For whoever wishes to save, see, it's like you can't just do it on Sunday morning and think it's going to work for you. You know, everybody thinks you're a saint. They're like, oh, she's so nice. And Nicole and I are like, you haven't gotten the phone calls that we've gotten. You wouldn't think the same. Oh, he's so great. Really? Praise God, you think that. Amen. And that's basically been every one of us, including us. We had phone calls against us at one time, too. Never happens anymore. (laughs) Just kidding. Everybody's been dumb with their flesh sometime. Okay, repent and let's move on. Let's grow up. Amen. Let's go forward. Romans 8.13 says those who are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. In other words, you're actively growing and moving into the spirit and not sitting there dwelling in your flesh. Right? You're not staying in one place in the pit, in the mire. He says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Now, He's talking about putting your flesh man down. See the context of the scriptures. In other words, he's saying you try to hold on to your flesh man's life, you'll actually lose it. But if you'll give up the flesh man in your life and its influence, you will find true life. That's what it's talking about. And then, then he says this, for what is a man profited if he gains the whole world or loses or forfeits himself? So see, we're biblical. You can forfeit yourself. And he says, what, what good is it if you gain the whole world? You're the ruler of all, but you forfeit the real you, the spirit person for eternity. You've gained nothing because what you have here is a vapor and it's going to be gone very quickly in, in terms of eternity. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. 
So what he's saying is there's people here that they will crucify their flesh. And because they do it, they'll step into the kingdom of God. They'll step into the domain of the king. They'll step into the rule of God. And the power of God will flow through them. The power of God will be evident. It's that power of God's coming up in your lives right now. Right now, you're seeing things differently. You're seeing truth. It's starting to set you free, break the counterfeits off of you, and and deny the forfeitures of lacking knowledge and lacking wisdom. The Lord says, my people are going uh, into bondage for a lack of understanding, for for a lack of knowledge. They're going into captivity for a lack of understanding. And so when we start to get the truth inside of us from the Word of God, that supernatural book, now truth can set us free and we won't lose things and we won't forfeit things and we'll stop accepting the counterfeits. But notice here in these scriptures, does it not say that we can forfeit ourselves? It does say that. And and what does it say? Uh, I'll come back to this. In, in a minute, but it says we can forfeit ourselves, and we're going to look at how to not do that. So 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not just beating the air, I'm not just, no, my, my blows are landing. My punches against the devil are landing. But watch this. I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So see, there's a forfeit there. And we're not just talking about, these particular forfeits are not just talking about giving up a promise here or there. It's talking about giving up your eternity. That's actually the context of it. You're giving up an eternity. But then you see in Hebrews 4, uh, 11, it says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter that rest, lest any man fall After the same example of unbelief. So you see a forfeit, you see a disqualification, you see a falling. He's telling us these things so that we won't forfeit our lives, so that we won't be disqualified. He's telling us so that we won't fall. But you can see by these three witnesses in scripture, you can forfeit some stuff. Every believer in here has the right to make a choice and forfeit. But how many people want to do that? You know, you might want to do that in the moment because of the flesh. But how many people, you know, when you get up to heaven and you're actually standing there in front of God, you're going to want to have a testimony of, Lord, I never gave you anything up. I didn't forfeit one of your promises that you paid for. Lord, I did it the way you want. How many people want that testimony and that witness? All right, then we need to look at how do we change that? How do we change that? So let's look at how to not forfeit. So going back to the original scripture in Luke 9, he says, you can forfeit, but before he tells us about forfeiting, he gives us some points. And here's what he says. He must deny himself. We must get very good at denying the flesh man. If you don't want to forfeit, we need to get better and better and better at telling that flesh man, no, no, absolutely not. He says, take up your cross 
daily. If you don't want to forfeit, we have to deny ourselves, our flesh man, and we have to take up our cross. What does that mean? That means that the flesh doesn't want to go do something, but I'm going to let the Lord empower me to say, no, I'm crucifying my flesh to that cross daily. You flesh man, you will not rule me. You will not reign over my life. You will not push me into worldly, ungodly emotions. You will not push me out of faith. No, you are crucified and I crucify you to that cross every day. Because I'm not going to be forfeit. How many of us, uh, you've longed to have a life that's not forfeit and then then you you, you did some dumb stuff? And all of a sudden you gave up some stuff. And you know it. You know you did it. And you knew, you knew like you could blame other people publicly, but on the inside you're like, that was me. I mean, I've done that. I can't tell you how many times. I'm like, man, I don't ever want to do that again. But then you go down the road like a couple of months or something. A couple of minutes. You know, all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're like, I just said I don't want to do this. I just did it again. And that's where we've got to be really good, really, really good at putting down the flesh. Man, we should make it a practice to get better at that. If you don't want to walk in a forfeiture on some level, you have to take up your cross daily and deny that flesh man and be really good at denying that flesh man. Now, how many people, your flesh is just really loving this message right now. And so right now you can start and get practice. No, flesh, I'm going to do this. I do like this message no matter what you tell me right now. Pastor Brian's my friend. I like him. Don't listen to the flesh man right now about me especially. This is not... This is not on my <laughs> go, go to First John chapter one. <laughs> oh, First John. Come here. There we go. First John chapter one. <laughs> uh, look, look at verse eight, nine, and ten. First John chapter one. Verse eight, nine, and ten. And I'm going to read these. I'm going to read these backwards. I'm going to read verse ten, and then verse nine, and then verse eight. And the reason I'm reading them backwards is because this will help you to see the timeline of things, and and see let you see something. Because basically, what you have here is past, present, and future. And he's talking about sin. He's also talking about this because a lot of people don't know this and they don't understand what's actually going on. But it it says, verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, in other words, past. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. And I'll, I'll be in counseling at times and you know, talking to people about what's going on in their life. We're sitting in there because there's a problem. There's a problem that needs solution. God's got the solution. We're sitting in counseling and all of a sudden, 
you know, somebody, I'm like, hey, you feel like you had any part to play in this? No, not me. It was all them. <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're done. <laughs> I don't think I can help you. <laughs> I think we're all finished right there. Yeah. No, it was, I like, so, so you have no, you have, you have no part to play in this at all. Which I already know is not true. I've been doing this long enough to know it takes two to tango. And if there's sin in a relationship, it's always both of them. It's always both of them. Because even if one, like, like right there, that person who thinks they didn't do anything, there's deception right there. There's sin right there. Thinking that's pride. Thinking they couldn't have missed it. I'm like, so you think you, you, you don't think there's any potential that you could have missed this at all? Like, even you just didn't know something, like you were in the dark and you missed it, but you weren't doing it on purpose. You don't even think there's a potential that you might have missed something? No, I didn't do it. No. All right. Lord, open their eyes in Jesus' name. I just pray the Holy Ghost to shine his light on their thinking. And uh, because that's what they need. They need their eyes opened at that point. That's major deception. Major, major deception. And uh, I've had people literally say that to me more than once. That wasn't just a one-time thing. I've had it more. So he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. Now this is talking a little bit bigger because we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans, we see that very clearly. So if we're like, no, I haven't sinned. I've been perfect. Why would God send me to hell? I've been perfect. It's like, uh, you haven't sinned. Like, I, like you just did. You just did. All right. And then it says, so if we, if we try to act like we've been perfect, we're, we're already making a mistake. We're already making. Now, I'm not talking about just claiming sin just because it, it's a false humility. Like, oh, no, I've been a sinner. Because a lot of people on the religious side, they're like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But, but listen, either you're a sinner or you're saved by grace. That was simply describing the process, but you're not a sinner saved by grace. You're either a sinner or you're saved by grace. So if you're saved by grace, you're made the righteousness of God in Christ. You're not the sinner in your real man, in the spirit man anymore. In the spirit man, you're not a sinner. But your flesh man still has corruption and sin in it. But that's not the real you. That's not the real you. The real you is the spirit. That's the one made in the image and likeness of God. And when you, I love the story that Jesus told about the rich man and the beggar Lazarus. Because the beggar Lazarus and the rich man died and their body was buried on earth. But he's telling the story and it's not a parable. He's telling the story. They're both, uh, one's in Abraham's bosom and the other one's in Hades, right? So that's the real them. The real them is not who they saw in the mirror. That's the earth suit kind of wrapped around the spirit man, the real them. But he's talking and he's talking about them. And he says, this one's in Hades, even though we know his body's buried on earth. Right? And so you can see this separation of spirit, soul, and body. And here he's saying, look, if you say that you have not sinned in the past, you're calling God a liar. Look at verse 9. He says, but if we confess our sins, 
He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this verse is talking about present. If I'm right in the middle of a present sin, I can simply at any moment stop and say, Lord, I repent of that. Which repent simply means to change your way of thinking. I'm not going to think that way anymore. I'm not going to do that again. And Lord, I ask for your forgiveness here. I'm confessing that sin. I'm asking for your forgiveness. But know that faith knows that God will forgive that. That's why Jesus came. Faith doesn't wonder if you'll be forgiven. Faith knows you'll be forgiven. And so then faith, faith says, if you confess it, know this, believe this by faith. He is faithful and righteous, just to forgive us. And look at what it says. And cleanse us from all, put the scripture up please, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you're not walking like, yeah, I prayed, but I still feel dirty. No, that feeling is a counterfeit of the truth. Because if you prayed and you believe, you are made righteous at that moment. He's, you have been cleansed from all unrighteousness, either that or God doesn't know what he's talking about. Which one you want to think it is? You think it's a feeling trying to counterfeit or God's a liar? Which one do you think it is? No, it's a feeling trying to counterfeit the truth that if you prayed and confessed that and you believe that he's made you righteous, you're righteous at that moment. Doesn't matter what your body thinks. Doesn't matter what your flesh thinks in that moment. So you see in verse 10, that's past sin. You see in verse 9, that's what to do if there's present sin or you find yourself in the place of sin. But look at this. Look at verse 8. And this is future sin. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we're ongoing deceiving ourselves if we say that we have no sin. Now, wait a minute, because let's, let's go just put up 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, it says you're a new creation in Christ. You're a completely new creation. But verse 21 says this. Go ahead. It says, he made Jesus, him, see the capital H there. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus, in him. So when you're born again, your spirit man made completely new at the same level of righteousness of God. Now, our flesh logic doesn't even know how to process that. But your spirit understands it. And that's where you say, Lord, I believe that by faith. Even though my brain doesn't know how to catch up with that truth yet. I believe it by faith. But notice here, he's basically saying the real you has no sin. Now, is that a promise? Is that a truth? All right, go back to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. And it says... It, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. Now, wait a minute. 2 Corinthians 5.21 just told me I have no sin. I'm righteous. 
But this says, if I say that I have no sin, I'm deceiving myself. 2 Corinthians 5.21, what's it talking about? Your spirit man, the real you. What's this one talking about? The flesh man. So he's saying in your flesh man, you can see, you can see it's not talking about the same portion of you. And he says here, if we say that we have no sin, in other words, let me, let me put it in this way. If you say you've got no potential to sin in your flesh, you are deceiving yourself and you're setting yourself up to be deceived. One time, uh, Pastor Nicole will remember this, we had some uh, friends come over to the house and we went out and had dinner with them. And, and uh, just, you ever been around somebody spiritually and you're just like, something's off. Something's off. Like, I don't know what it is, but something's off. And that was in our spirit the whole night, the whole night. And I could tell it. And, and don't look at your neighbor right now. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> amen, pastor. Like, don't look at them subconsciously, all right? So, yeah, amen. Matter of fact, I'll just, I'm going to preach this way, okay? So, and you, ever been around, you ever been around somebody and you're just like, something's off? Well, before the end of the night came, before the end of the night came, they said, I'm just believing by faith that we will never miss it again. We can't miss it. I'm like, um, I think you've already missed it. I think you're already missing it right now because it says in other words you're telling me you've got no potential to sin no I've got no potential to sin and I was like like I'm trying to look at this from all different angles I I think you're missing it right there oh and then they got hot got heated I'm like right there right there within six months I had a screenshot of their mugshot from being arrested on my phone ministry destroyed within six months because they didn't pay attention to this verse as long as you're on the earth and you, you still don't have a glorified body and you're still alive on this earth, this body is a body of sin. But you are given the power and the authority through the spirit man to submit the flesh and crucify it daily. Yeah. But if you think that you can't fall victim to that, you are deceiving yourself. And that's exactly what the word says. And he says, so you have to deny that flesh man. You have to deny it. No, that's what happens when we fast. When we fast, we're telling it, like, what's your flesh saying? I want to eat. And when we fast, we're like, no. What we really want to say, that's our spirit. Our flesh wants to go, okay, let me feed you a cheeseburger. And you have to put that voice down. And you have to listen to the spirit, man. To stay in your fasting. 
But when you fast, you're actually getting really good practice and it breaks the yoke of some of these flesh bondages that try to wrap itself around us, right? That's why fasting, remember, let me just, there's a, there's a card out there. says, I think it says fasting 101. Highly recommend that because Jesus didn't say if you fast. No, Jesus said when you fast. Major difference between those two words. Amen. He says, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily. That means we have to put down our flesh how often? Daily. Daily. And not just the actions of the flesh, the thoughts of the flesh. Daily. Some of y'all are like, trust me, Pastor, I know. (laughs) Case in point. (laughs) She's up here laughing, I knew. Daily, you're like, oh, oh, I'm aware. I'm aware the flesh is still there and has potential in it. Anybody, anybody aware that the flesh still has some potential to sin? Yeah, amen. So what do we have to recognize? You're empowered by the authority of Christ to put that down. Otherwise, you risk forfeiture. And you don't want, how many people want to forfeit the promises of God? Any of them. Man, I don't. I don't. And so he says, take up his cross daily and watch this. And then he said, Jesus says this, and here's the other way, did not forfeit. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And here's the third thing he says in this passage. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Matthew 11, he says, yo, hey, you guys who have it heavy, heavy laden and burdened, come to me. Take my yoke upon me and follow me and it'll be easy and light and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Come to me and follow me. Do it my way. See, the issue is we've thought, well, I'm, and you have to understand this. Why are you here this morning? Are you here because you got it all together? Are you here because you are perfect and you're just waiting for Jesus to come back? <laughs> And, and I feel like I'm supposed to be here, but I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. But I don't have to grow in anything. Like, I got it together. No, you're here to learn and to grow. The Bible says that. If the Bible's right. Ephesians chapter 4. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the training and equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You're here to grow, to do the work of ministry while you're here before Jesus comes back. But don't forget the first step of that, to grow, to train and equip. That means something you're doing now is wrong that you may or may not know about. (laughs) You may not be informed. And that's why your flesh won't like me or this church because the Holy Ghost is going to be like, I see your stuff. And he'll come and take his finger and put his finger right on that little nerve ending of your flesh and say, tell it no. And if you understand that, then you'll like it here. And if you don't understand that, you will not like it here because he does that here all the time. Because this ministry is, is really doing, it's stretching, stretching and growing us to be trained and equipped to do the work of ministry. I don't want a bunch of people here. I don't want a bunch of people here that get up to heaven and God says, well, you're here. 
I don't want that. No, I want to get up to heaven and say, I prayed for this person and they got born again and here they are with me in heaven because we're a soul winning church. I prayed for this person. They got healed. They, they had financial abundance. They had healing in their body. The power of God was present. Because the Bible does say, 2 Timothy 3, it says if they, if they have a form of godliness but are denying the power, they're not letting the power flow, you avoid such men as these. Hebrews 6.12, follow those who through faith and patience are not talking about the promises of God. They're inheriting the promises of God. The promises, the promises are manifesting. We're not just talking about, that's not just for preachers, that's for every believer. That's for every believer. I don't want to get up to heaven and say, uh, you know, Pastor Brian, you did okay and you saw some stuff, but your people didn't see anything. That would be a, a very bad thing. My job, I want to empower you. But in order to do that, we want to be the people that follow Jesus and put down our flesh. We don't want to be forfeit in anything. So then you go in how to stay away from forfeit. First uh, Corinthians nine twenty six, where we looked at before. I run in such a way as not without aim. In other words, I'm not just running anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and we all laugh at that because it's silly, but we've been doing it in our spiritual life all our life. And many preachers have been looking at us and it's like, you're going to run with us at some point or are you going to keep doing that? (laughs) See, we're living our lives doing that. This is what he's saying. He said, if you want to get out of that, and, and like, it doesn't matter how much the world celebrates you, it matters how much Jesus celebrates you. It matters what he says. And what he says in the book of John is we're to be fruitful, not just active. My dad used to say something to me a lot. He said there's a big difference between activity and productivity. A big difference between just being active and being fruitful. We want to become the most efficient and fruitful people in the kingdom of God that we can be. Which means I don't waste a lot of energy running frivolously all over the place. I'm running without an aim, without a finish line. No, we want to we identify that finish line. We want to identify that goal and run the race to win is what the Bible says. And he says, and I don't box without aim. You know, you ever seen a boxer get in the ring? And they're fighting, and they get knocked. Uh, you know, they get knocked a couple of times for it. No, they're just throwing punches. Like dudes over there, they're punching this way. I've, I've seen them do it. They're so out of it. Like they're all of that effort and all that energy. It's going to nothing. We don't want a box like that. We want our actions to hit the target. We want to finish the race. And so he says this. In order to do this, what do you have to do in verse twenty-seven? I discipline my body or my flesh and I make my flesh or my body, I make it my slave. Like I'm not bending to what you want flesh. No, you'll do what I say. You're bending to the spirit. 
but you've been told by the world, you do whatever you want to do. You, can, you deserve this. You got to watch language like this. This is language designed to talk to your flesh to get you to make a flesh decision. Even commercials will show, that, show this and everything. And they'll be like, you deserve this. And what they're basically saying is, you, all your coworkers have been treating you like a jerk at work. So you, need, you deserve a break. All they want you to do is spend money with them. Right. It's just sales tactics. Yeah. But it's feeding your flesh. Right. It's feeding your flesh. They're trying to get you to move and operate. The world's training you to operate by your emotions, operate by the corrupted logic of the world, but not the logic of God, not the will of God, not the heart of God. And this is what he's saying. If you don't want to be forfeit, you've got to discipline your body and you've got to tell your body who's boss. And I'm not just talking about, you know, I've seen some Christians before and they're like, they get, they starting to get some of these verses. And then all of a sudden they're in church and they have a sinful thought or a sinful temptation. I've seen them do it. And they're like, no, get behind me, Satan. Like, and everybody's like, yeah, I mean, wow. <laughs> wow. And it's like they were very vocal with it. But what good does that do to be vocal if they don't actually follow through with the actions of it? Like that didn't do anything. I've watched people be so holy in prayer and vicious in their words with other people. Like they're all holy. They're shouting, oh, Jesus. Oh, glory to God. And then they go and cuss out somebody at the restaurant because they didn't bring their steak on time or whatever. Like, no, you're supposed to discipline your flesh. He says, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. If you don't want to be forfeit, Hebrews 4.11 11 says this, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. It says, watch this, let us labor, therefore, to enter that rest. In other words, let us strive and be diligent to enter into the rest of God. So your flesh is going, ah, trying to get you to respond to something. Your flesh is like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do this so much. I want to do this so bad. I want to go this direction. And, and you as a spirit man have to turn off that voice of the flesh and turn back to the Lord and do your work to stay in the rest of God where the spirit is bringing peace and giving us Given us that rest because we know that God will help us as loud as the flesh is. Lord, you'll empower me to put that, to discipline my body, take up my cross, deny my flesh, and, and follow Jesus. And follow Jesus. I'm not going to think like that. I'm not going to act like that. I'm not, I'm not going to live like that. No, I have the authority to put my flesh down. We, we have to labor to stay in the rest of God. We have to diligently stay in the rest of God. If you'll show me somebody that's in control of their emotions and they're in easy and light, I'll show you somebody that on a regular basis is receiving the promises of God. But if they're frantic and they're up and down and up and down, it's going to be hit or miss all the time. How many people, when you pray, you'd like for the power of God to flow all the time? Anybody would like that? That means you're going to need to take control of your body, of your flesh, and enter the rest of God. 
See, there was a rest of God for the Israelites promised by the Lord to them. But because they didn't enter that promised land, enter that place of rest, they didn't receive it. And they fell because of disobedience. Because they didn't believe that God could help them get through. Most of the time what that looks like is your flesh really wants something and you don't believe that God can get it to you supernaturally. So your flesh feels like I've got to go get that myself and I've been waiting too long for God to bring it into my life and bring me the peace here and bring me the answer. So your flesh talks you into going and doing something dumb. And then you go and do that dumb thing and you, and you miss the, the rest that God had. You miss it. So then Hebrews 11, keep going down to the end of that chapter. Look at this, or, or another chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews 11, 24 and 26. It says, now, you know, these notes were three weeks ago. Hebrews 11, 24 and 26. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I want you to understand, he was in the kingdom of the world. He was considered a prince of Egypt. Everything he wanted, he could have. Everything he wanted, he could have. I, I would bet, I would bet good money that the majority of us, as strong as we feel like we are, if we were tempted, if we were tempted with everything that Moses had, there'd be a large percentage that never left Egypt. Um, I believe that wholeheartedly. Because we think that we're strong, but you don't really find out how strong you are until you've been tempted with that. But we see something with Moses. We see something with Moses that is very, very important. And, and he had everything. But he, but he says this, he had, when he had grown up, he refused to be called basically a prince of Egypt. He gave away all of his inheritance from the world. All the gold, all the women, all the fun, every flesh, all the food, all that stuff. And you know where he ends up in just a couple of years? In the middle of the desert. With a bunch of smelly sheep that whine and bite. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. And, and so he's not in Egypt anymore. Being romanced by the world. He's out in the middle of the desert with nobody and a bunch of sheep. Smelling like sheep. Oh, Lord, you're always leading me to increase. This can't be the Lord because this is not increase. He's not leading me to this job that would pay me less money. Certainly not. He's not leading me to a job that would give me less stuff. Certainly not. I'll let you talk to Moses about that when you get up to heaven. <laughs> Certainly he wouldn't lead me to Albemarle. 
in a small town and send me to a church that irritates my flesh to grow, certainly it wouldn't do that. Really. Watch this. You want to not forfeit. How to not forfeit. Verse 25. Here's what Moses did. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Sin has a pleasure to it. The world and the flesh has a pleasure to it. But he said, I'd rather be treated worse and be in the people of God and be in the place of God than to take hold of what the world has to offer me. And you've got to understand that most of the church truly believes that God doesn't want you to have anything. They're like, well, if you, if you go after God, you've got to sell everything. You know, it's really funny because you have a lot of t- teaching on that. And, and they believe that God's plan is for you to be in poverty. It, look, the word itself says he delights in the prosperity of his people. It says he's not withholding any good thing. He longs to bless us. We're blessed with faithful Abraham in Galatians 3. Well, Abraham was very rich in in gold and livestock and silver. He was very, very wealthy and rich. And just recently, a major denomination just came out in their conference, and they took a vow of poverty. They took a vow of poverty and they said, we will not preach the prosperity message, the prosperity of God. It's like, okay, fine, you have a choice to do that. I personally think you're very, very wrong because the world actually needs to know that God's good. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And you need to have control over that fleshly stuff and be willing to give it up. In other words, God doesn't mind you having stuff, but don't let stuff have you. But what's really hypocritical, and this is what irritates me the most, is they took a vow of poverty and they all drove home. Because if you're going to take a vow of poverty, then you need to leave your car in the parking lot. That's hypocrisy. And that's worse. Because here's how I know they didn't do it. Because had they done it, oh, you'd have heard about that. You'd have heard about it. No, that's not. They flew home. They drove home. They didn't hitchhike. They They didn't empty everything they had. Well, that's a vow of poverty. It's hypocritical. Like if you're going to believe something, you've got to take it to the nth degree. And, and so, so the world actually needs to know that God wants to bless them. God wants to bless you mightily. Again, scripture, supernatural scripture, supernatural. God is not withholding any good thing from those who walk uprightly. But there's a point that we come to like Moses where it says, Lord, I don't care if I have it or I don't. I might have stuff, but that stuff doesn't have me. And I'm willing over you, I will drop this stuff. I'll drop it in a heartbeat. I'll give it away. I don't mind doing it and I'll do it. And here's what he did. He says he chose. He made a choice. He made a commitment. 
He said he chose rather to endure the ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Look at this. And this is what helps him so much because his mind was not set on the earth. His mind was set on eternity. He said, considering the reproach or the correction of Christ, that was greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And he was looking to the reward. So he understood that God's a rewarder. And so he takes this place and he gets kicked out of Egypt, basically. He hands over his inheritance from the world, gets kicked out of Egypt, ends up in the desert with a bunch of sheep that were biting and smelly. And, and, and he learns to be the person who would be the great deliverer that we now know as Moses. He learned how to deal with sheep. He learned how to deal with people. He learned all the places to go. And he He learned how to trust God. He learned how to believe. So it wasn't worthless to drop that stuff. He gained some stuff that you can't put a tangible value to. And when he walked out of that desert and back into the throne room 40 years later, he was carrying something. He was carrying something supernatural. He was carrying something spiritual. And that's what I'm telling you today is that you can carry something. If you'll put down your flesh and you'll learn to give up what God's asking you to give up, you'll learn that what God gives you is worth far more than what you had before. And you'll have the anointing and the power and the stuff because God wants to bless you. And then maybe he'll tell you to give that stuff away. And then he'll fill you up again because God's not a God who tells you to pour out the cup and he doesn't come back and fill it. It's who he is. My cup runs over. It's not about what I can hold. It's about what I can have flow through me. See, when you get your spirit right with God, the flow of God can increase. God's not just looking for to see what you can hold. He's looking to see what he can flow through you. And he can't, the thing is, if you have your flesh all wrapped up in stuff, when God starts the flow, you'll try to hold on to it like it's yours. But you understand, when your spirit is right, all of a sudden, the flow of God, you can walk by people and the anointing start to heal and start to deliver. And in the name of Jesus, things change and stuff breaks off and sickness is destroyed. That's not just for pastors. That's for every believer. But you can't do that if the flesh has its claws in you. Because the flow will be stopped. Or at least slowed. So the Lord prompted Moses' heart to give up those things of the flesh. Break the grip of it. Hand it over to the Lord. The thoughts, the ideas, the stuff, the thinking like the world. To give it up so that he wouldn't be forfeit. And truly he was not forfeit in that way. And he goes back in, speaks to Pharaoh with an authority. Would not compromise. 
and brings the people of Israel who were in bondage out of Egypt. And the Bible tells us that every one of them were, were healthy. There was not one feeble among them. They were healed and, they, and their pockets were full with the riches of Egypt. They spoiled the Egyptians. God brought them out healthy and wealthy and free. Healthy, wealthy, and free. And that's a picture of God's deliverance all the time. That you're not just free in one area, you're free in every area. Your, your prosperity is not just talking about money. It's talking about you are prosperous in every area. You're prosperous in your health. You're prosperous in your soul. You're prosperous in your heart. You're prosperous also in your finance. You're prosperous in joy. You're prosperous in peace. You're prosperous in mercy. That's why when you come against the prosperity message, you're coming against the good news of God because it's not bad news. It's not worldly humble news. It's good news from the kingdom of God. It doesn't come with, with a hold back. It comes with a full flow. You can't stop God from being God who longs and he delights in prospering you in every area. You, you can't hold that back. Look, look at this, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and, and verse 8. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 8. And go. And go. <laughs> and be there. There we go. All right. If we have food... And covering with these, we shall be content. It doesn't mean you can't have other stuff, but you understand, as long as I have those two things, I should be content. I should be content. Now back up to verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. And look at this. If you'll, what happens when you combine true contentment, like verse 8 says, with godliness? He said, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. See, if we'd learn to be content in the flesh and be godly, God will be able to prosper us all. It's actually a plan of God. And then you, you start to show the world God is good. Because the world cares nothing about your morality as a Christian. The world couldn't give a rip about it. Why? Because they can't love if they've not received his love. We love because he first loved us. So they don't have a place of priority about our morality. But they do care about being blessed. And so God says it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. So when, he's, when the world sees the blessing on you and how you have peace in the middle of a storm, when you are not phased by it, when you get the bad doctor's report, but yet you're still full of joy, like that marks them. And that's why Peter says, you got to be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. And hope means Bible hope, New Testament Bible hope means joy, confidence, and expectation. So when you're in, when you get bad news, but you keep your joy because you're prosperous in, in the heart of God and in the joy of the Lord, when you get bad news, but you're expectant, 
and you're confident in the middle of, of a storm? This is what made them bow before Jesus and say, who are you? Because in the middle of all this, he kept his composure because he had the full prosperity of God in every area of his life. And it spoke to the world. And that's why Peter says, you should have so much hope in you that the world sees it and is constantly asking you, why are you so hopeful? Yes. What, you know, the world might even say, what is the matter with you? Have you lost your mind? Well, I've lost my worldly mind. Yes, I've set my mind on things above. And I see promises and truth that supersedes the facts that you're looking at. I know I got a promise and he's a rewarder and he's not withholding any, anything. And I can take my flesh and submit it and watch God come through. Yeah. So yeah, I've lost the thinking that you're talking about. Yeah. I don't think like that anymore because right. I've renewed my mind to the Word and I put down my flesh. And I look towards eternity. Philippians 3 and verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me in the world, those things I have counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost. Here, see, he's given you a thinking process. Remember Moses? He considered the reward, right? It says he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches. For he was looking to his reward. He was thinking about eternity. He was thinking about how much better that reward's going to be than the little reward here on earth. Same thing here. It says, I've counted these as loss. And how did he do that? In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So I'm not meditating on what I have in the world to lose. I'm meditating on what I gain by following Christ. I'm meditating by what I gain by putting my flesh down, by putting my feelings down and letting go of doubt and fear and unbelief and casting my cares on the Lord. I let go of all that stuff because I got my eyes set on how much valuable, more valuable it is to follow Christ because it's worth it. He says, for whom, he says, for Christ, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I may gain the anointing and the anointed one and his anointing. Because Proverbs teaches us that the wisdom of God is a greater value than all the silver and the gold and the gems because the wisdom of God can bring you all of those things in an instant. So I don't, I don't sell myself for stuff. I go after Christ and the wisdom of God knowing that even if I hand over my stuff, even if I hand over my stuff and go into Christ, it's only a matter of time before the, the flow of the Lord fills me back up. And I know that. There have been things in my life where the Lord was asking me to put down and do, you know, don't do that anymore. Don't think like that anymore. And I'm thinking, how would I, but my flesh is like, how would I feel fulfilled then in my flesh? You know, how I don't, I feel like if I give that up, there's never an answer to what I'm wanting. 
And every time there's something close to that, and I just decide, Lord, I give it to you. Every time he comes and feels that in a way I couldn't see. Because that's who he is. He doesn't leave you lacking. He doesn't leave you in that place of poverty, even in your feelings. He prospers even your feelings. And that's the beauty of it. He says, I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. See, it's understanding that the world puts so much value on stuff and its own corrupted thinking. And oh, I, I got a right to do this. And they put so much value on that. What we're saying is I let my mind be renewed by the word that says that's not the valuable thing. That's a fleshly, worldly way to look at it. I put value on knowing Christ. Because I know if I know Christ, that will bring me so much more and I won't have the hangovers of the world and the residuals of sin. I'll have the freedom in the fullness of the life of God. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy most of the time through worldly stuff. But Jesus said, I've come that you might, in the Amplified, that you might have and enjoy life to the full till it overflows into the lives of other people is the context. God wants to fill you and overflow you into other people's lives. He he says, verse 9, and that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, Now, what that's saying is so many people try to get right with God by doing things. That's the law. Do this, don't do that. The do's and the don'ts. The to do's and the to don'ts. And they try to do it. And they think that making that payment of the to do's and making the payment of the to don'ts. But it's not like that. It's faith in Christ that says, Lord, I love you. And whatever you tell me to do out of my love for you, I'll do that. It's not the list that you upkeep because we know in the New Testament, the one time you miss that list and you don't do that one thing, you're guilty of all. So I don't do it to uphold a list. I do it because the love of Christ compels me. And we should move because the love of Christ controls us. In other words, Lord, I I seek to love you. So out of love, what is it you want me to do? Write the law of love on my heart. Show me in my heart by the Holy Ghost what to do. I'll do that. I'll do that. And when you're tempted with the things of the world, you're not saying no to them to keep a list. You're saying no to them because I love you, Lord. Within view of Christ. That I may be found of him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10, that I may know him. If you want to not be forfeit, you got to get to know him. You got to spend time with him. You know, in Him we live and move and have our being. That I may know Him. That I also may know the power of His resurrection. Not just that He resurrected for me, but what power was wrapped up when He was resurrected? What power was released when He was resurrected? What was the power of that resurrection? 
Of course, you go into Ephesians chapter 1. It says, I pray that your eyes of understanding would be enlightened. And then it goes on to say that you would know the surpassing greatness of him towards us who believe. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, he wants us to get to know and have full revelation of our inheritance in Christ that he brought about when he raised him from the dead. In other words, your inheritance is on a resurrection power level. Now think about this, especially, especially if you can fathom it as, as family members. If Nicole and I as parents and, you know, we're coming up to a birthday, his birthday was yesterday and we're coming up to a birthday and man, we, we save our money and we buy precious gifts and everything. And then I come up, we come up and we present the, the gift to them. What, what if somebody takes that gift and goes, oh no, I don't want that. What does that do to the giver? It hurts their heart. It's a lack of esteem. It's a lack of valuing the right thing. And so God's telling us he wants us to know. And that means have an intimate knowledge with our inheritance. Not just to know him, but to know the power of his resurrection. Is that not what the scripture says? I don't want you just to, just to have a relationship with, with you know, a preacher on Sunday morning. No, I want you to have a relationship with God Almighty yeah. and His Son. And I want you to have an interaction with the power of that gift. So many times in our religion, we're like, Lord, I just want you, but I don't want the power. Hey, I don't have to have what's in your hand. Like, God's not telling you you have to choose. And He's also not saying that you can separate them. If you get Him, you get His power. If you get his power, you get him. You can't. That's who he is. That's why his name is God Almighty. That's why his name is El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jehovah Rapha, our healer, our righteousness, our provider. It's who he is. He's our protector. He's our peace. You can't separate these characteristics from it's who he is. And when you accept him, you either accept all of him or you really are saying, I accept none of them. So this false humility that's being taught is so dangerous because God's saying, I want you to receive not just a part of me that you like and you feel comfortable with in front of other people. I want you to receive all of me. And see, if we're not doing that, then we're holding on to that piece of the flesh and that's the flesh we're not crucifying. That's why if the Lord tells you to run, you run. If he tells you to dance, you dance. If he tells you to be quiet, you be quiet. But Lord, I do all these things because I love you. I yield to you. He says that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death, that I in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. This means, look, here's what this means. Lord, if you ask me to go through something for people, I'll go through it. I know you'll bring victory in it, but I'm willing to go into that desert. But I'm not going into the desert expecting the desert to get in me. I'm expecting the blessing in me to get into the desert. 
You're not sending me out here to teach me something. The Holy Ghost is anointed to teach me something, not the wilderness. Yes. Sickness is not anointed to teach me something. Yes. No, the Bible says the Holy Ghost is our teacher. So I'm not, I'm not going into the wilderness. Every time you see somebody go into the wilderness, it was to bring the, the kingdom out there. Every time. And so I don't go into the wilderness expecting to be beat up. I go into the wilderness to bring the kingdom of God into it. Now see, if people get into the mindset that the wilderness is their home, they'll become like the Israelites and they'll die there. They'll go through life, they'll start doubting God, and they'll die in that place of the wilderness. But if they'll go into the wilderness expecting to get to the promised land, just like Joshua and Caleb, a whole nation can think differently, but it won't hold you back. A whole nation couldn't stand in the way of Joshua and Caleb's faith. It took them some extra time because they were attached to them. But the whole nation was not able to hold it back. See, this has to do with putting our flesh down. We have to say, Lord, I hear what you have for me. I will not be forfeit. I will not receive the counterfeit. I'm not going to walk in a lower standard because I've given myself to the flesh or I've given myself to worldly thinking or I've even given myself to religious thinking. One of the biggest things that's eating the church's lunch right now is religious thinking. Spiritual teenagers who haven't gotten a full revelation of that good news, but they're preaching and they weren't even commissioned by God to do it. And they fill the pulpits all the time. Not even called by God to be in that office. And they're preaching like it's the word of God and it's so contrary to the word of God that they'll go and take a vow of poverty and, not, and drive home. Completely hypocritical. False humility. It's actually worldly, fleshly thinking that is invaded instead of the Word of God. Instead of the Word of God. The Word of God. This is a supernatural book. This is a supernatural book. It. Listen, do you know how many prophecies hit just right? The hundreds of prophecies. And they all hit 100%. Didn't miss one of them. It's a supernatural book and it's relevant today and it's our standard of living and it just told us that we can be forfeit but it told us how not to be forfeit. Take up that cross daily and follow him. Be willing. Remember I asked you, why are you here? Are you here for me to clap you on the back and tell you how good you're doing? Yeah, if you are. But really, we're all here, including me. To be trained and equipped to a higher place than we are here. To increase. Luke 2.52 says, and Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. He kept increasing. Just say that with me. Kept increasing. Jesus kept increasing. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Not just favor with God, but favor with men as well. He kept increasing. And he's our example that we are to follow. 
Our job is not to say, man, we're doing ministry good. We got 3,000 souls this year. Amen, let's just stay right here. No, our job is, Lord, is there still more of a promise to grab a hold of? To whom much is given, much is required. Lord, if we can get 5,000 next year, 10,000 next year. Lord, by faith, we're going after that with our faith. We're, we're going to increase. We're going to become better and more efficient. We're not just going to be active. We're going to be productive. And we're going to give our flesh and put our flesh down because we don't want to be forfeit. We don't want to counterfeit. We don't want to forfeit any blessing or any promise or any gift of God. We want to see the mighty things of God flow through us. We want the full flow of God. And in the meantime, while your blessings are flowing through us, we get wet from them. Like we, we receive the blessing. There's a residual of his overflow that stays in us. We may be the pipe, but even the pipe gets wet. And we stay in that. And the flow becomes more and more. Lord, let us yield our flesh and let us not back down from it. And let us not be forfeit. But daily, daily, I take my thoughts captive. I think on things only worthy of praise. Daily, I pick up my cross and I crucify that flesh. I crucify the flesh. My flesh doesn't run me. My flesh is my slave. I'm not the slave of my flesh. I crucify it because I don't want to be forfeit. Does that minister to you today? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you? That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Last verse, Hebrews 12, 11. I really like it as a preacher. As a preacher, it's one of my favorites. As somebody being preached to, my flesh doesn't like it. But Hebrews 12, 11 says, all discipline, all discipline, not just some of it, all discipline for the moment seems to be not joyful, but sorrowful. Not just some discipline, all discipline. Now, to your spirit man, would it be joyful? Yes. So who's he talking to here? What part of you is he talking to? Your flesh. See, and this is something we should get really used to because it's not like the flesh is going to one day wake up and be like, oh, he's really doing this for my benefit. I really like discipline now. No, because that would be breaking scripture. No. When God gives discipline to the flesh man, it seems to not be joyful, even sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by the discipline of God and the conviction of the word of God, by the conviction of it, and they let it go and empower them to make their flesh their, save and cru their slave and crucify their flesh daily and take up their cross. The ones who will do that, they will eat and it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. How many people want that peaceful fruit of righteousness? Yeah. And that's where we say, Lord, I don't care what my flesh thinks. I don't care what my flesh thinks. I'm not following my flesh, and I'm not a slave to the flesh. I'm not falling into those temptations and those pits every time my flesh feels like having a pity party. I'm not falling for it. And when you finally get to that side of it, and, and when your flesh tries to have a pity party and tries to bully you, and you're like, no, you'll start winning. Yeah. You'll start winning yeah. and your spirit will win 
And all of a sudden you'll have victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. You don't have to give in to the feelings of the flesh. Well, I just don't feel good today. Who cares? Choose to choose joy instead of that feeling. Choose the joy of the Lord. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So as long as you have the Holy Ghost, that fruit is available to you. Pick the fruit off the tree of the Holy Ghost and eat it. And remind your face. (laughs) Remind your face every now and then. That'll help people around you. I'm just so much in joy. I can tell. (laughs) I can tell. It's awesome. That'll help people receive you with joy if you'll remind your face about those things at times. Amen. Just, you know, some social skills and just helping out. I want to invite you now. Just close your eyes. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Father, have your way right now. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, we don't want to be forfeit. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Lord, let our flesh be crucified today of all days in the beginning. Lord, let our flesh be crucified. Let us walk with you. Let us have your anointing and your power. Let us not be held back. Let us not give up anything. Let us not be forfeit. But Lord, we crucify the flesh because we're looking towards the reward and we consider the correction of Christ, the reproaches of Christ. We consider the putting down of our flesh greater rewards than we could ever find here on the earth. We know that your word is true. And as you do it, you not only pour your blessings through us and you pour the overflow through us, Lord, But Lord, you pour it into the lives of the people around us as well. Lord, we yield to your will and we yield to your strength and we yield to your goodness. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I invite you this morning to come up to the altar and just lay your flesh on the altar like Jesus laid his flesh on that cross. I'm not living by you anymore. I'm not living by this flesh anymore. I'm not living by it. I lay it down. If you need prayer for your body or finances, you need some kind of power of God flowing into your life, you can come up and, and I'll pray for you and lay hands on you and release the anointing of God, which will break every yoke. But I invite you first. Lay your flesh down. Make it your slave. Lord, I'm not going to be forfeit in anything. I'm not going to be forfeit in anything. I don't want to lose anything. I want the fullness of the promise of God in every place, in every way. In the name of Jesus.